says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. So God intended for the Gershonites, listen, to be a representation to, to make sure that they were that the, that the holy place of God, his dwelling place, was holy in the Old Testament. And guess what? His expectation for us as the New Testament tabernacle, guess what? It's exactly the same. It's supposed to be focused on holiness. This is the challenge every single day. Will we sanctify ourselves from the world and will we look like Christ? Again, this world is looking for him and it's supposed to be our top priority. Now, continuing on the same theme of holiness, we're going to switch over to the last clan, the last clan, which is the children of Merari. And today what we're going to see is the structure, number one, the structure of faith. We'll see the weight of righteousness, and we're going to see the interdependence of godliness in our message this morning, which is entitled, The Foundations of Holiness. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being so good to us. Lord, I see the evidence of your glory in my life every single day. I see it in my wife. I see it in my kids. I see it in my church. I see it in, Lord, so many things. God, you've given us so much more than we deserve. And Lord, we just want to tell you that we love you. God, we come today with thankful hearts. Uh, Lord, willing, uh, a needy people, uh, Lord, we need to receive from you. And Lord, I know that you've spoken to me in regard to this message and this passage. And I'm asking, uh, uh, Lord, you now would uh, speak through me. Help me, Lord, to remove the human element, my stuttering tongue and my wandering mind. And God, help me, uh, Father, just to be an instrument that you would use uh, to speak to your people, to speak to me. Thank you, and Father, in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right, Joshua 21, verses 34 through 40. It says, And unto the families of the children of Merari, the rest of the Levites, out of the tribe of Zebulun, Jachnim with her suburbs, and Karta with her suburbs, Dimnah with her suburbs, Nahalala with her suburbs, four cities, and of the tribe of Reuben, Bezer. And what's interesting, Bezer is actually a refuge, a city of refuge. It's not listed here, but it is one of the cities of refuge. It's not identified that way. Bezer with her suburbs, and Jahazah with her suburbs, and Kedemoth and her suburbs, and Mephath and her suburbs, four cities, and out of the tribe of Gad, Ramoth, and Gilead, another city of refuge, with her suburbs, to be a city of refuge for the slayer, and Mananam and her suburbs, Heshbon and her suburbs, and Jazer with her suburbs, that sounds like a fun place, um, four cities in all. And so all the cities of the children of Merari by their families, which were remaining of the families of the Levites, were by their lot twelve cities. Now, so to understand why it is that they would receive these twelve cities for their faithfulness, I want us to really consider what it was that they were doing, right? Who were these Gershonites and what it was their responsibility? We discussed with the children of Kohath, right? Their responsibility, bottom line, was the fact that they were supposed to deal with those holy implements, those holy furnishings of God. Then we had the Gershonites. And the Gershonites, their responsibility was to deal with all those things that were required of the coverings. They were entrusted with making certain that the image of God was, was a clean one. That was an honorable image of God. And so each one was absolutely essential to God's dwelling place fulfilling what it was supposed to do. It was supposed to be worthy of Him. Do we hear that? The tabernacle is supposed to be worthy worthy of Him. And that's their responsibility. They're being entrusted to care for these things that are absolutely supposed to be a representation of heaven and God Himself. This was true for every single individual part and piece. Once it was brought together, God's holy place, listen, was established and put in its location that God would choose. All the furnishings would then be put in place. 
Then what would happen is the, 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 the fabrics would be broad and everyone would do their job, but there were these other guys, the Mararites, and they had a responsibility that was extremely important because recognize for the, for the tabernacle to have a shape, for it to have its stability, to have its strength, to have its structure, it took the Mararites doing their job. They had to show up with the parts and pieces that, they were, that, that were their responsibility. And our first point is the structure of faith. And it's here I want us to get an understanding of what it was God was asking of them. What was their responsibility? We go back to Numbers chapter 4, and we see it defined for us. And this is the charge of their burden, according to all their service in the tabernacle of the congregation, the boards of the tabernacle, and the bars thereof, and the pillars thereof, and the sockets thereof, and the pillars of the court round about, and their sockets, and their pins, bear with me, I'm going to explain all this, and their cords, and with all their instruments, and with all their service, and by name you shall reckon the instruments of the charge of their burden. This is the service of the families of the sons of Merari, according to all their service, in the tabernacle of the congregation, under the hand of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. And so we see amongst the things that they are being required to take care of, the things that, that are in, entrusted to their care, we see, what, boards, we see bars, we see pillars, and we see sockets. Now, if you're like me, that asks me the question, what are these things and why in the world are they important? And the wonderful thing about God's Word is, you know what, God's given us a, 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 a book that is self-defining, okay? This is a resource that defines itself. So as opposed to me having to wonder what it says, I can simply find it in God's Word. And what's important, we must realize the fact that, listen, God has given us the Word so that we can understand Him and understand what it is He wants us to know. Now, initially, when we first get saved, some of us may think, you know what, well, I, I mean, I struggle with reading the Bible. Recognize, mature believers should be able to go to the Word of God and find what it is they need. But if we're not a mature believer, we're not established in the faith, we've not been through discipleship, then guess what? We may struggle a little bit. With our children, we don't, you know, when they're, when they're you know, just, they just build it. We just got them, taught them how to walk. And we don't say, okay, now this is how you plant vegetables, and this is how you kill animals, and this is how you cook, and this, we don't, no, we don't expect them to have any idea how to move and go forward and how to survive in this life. So what will happen is they're going to be walked. They're going to be parented. They'll be taught how to walk. They'll be taught how to, how to read. They'll be taught how to speak. They'll be taught how to do everything. And so what will happen is with, with us as developing on our faith, in the beginning we may not necessarily understand God's word, but what does God do? God creates a system of support around us so that we can lean on those that are more mature the same way a child does to a parent, and they can instruct them and help them. So when somebody doesn't understand the word of God, they have their discipler to say, hey, listen, let's go and let's go to the word of God. They're not looking for, your, uh, for knowledge from mankind. What will happen is your discipler will go, let's go to the Bible and find the answer to the question that you have. This is the key. This is a self-defining uh, resource. And so what we find is the fact that you and I have been drawn and called to study God's Word. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto, unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing, identifying that we can wrongly divide it. And so notice this, it says, study to show thyself approved unto God. So God can disapprove of the way that we go to God's word. Yeah. We may go sit and read and go, you know what? Yep, man, I read six chapters today. What'd you read? <laughs> uh, God was in it, that's what I can tell you. And uh, some stuff happened. I'm not sure. I don't know. Right? It's not about reading it. It's about studying and it's about allowing it to work in our lives. People will ask me all the time, what commentaries do you go to in your preparation for messages? And I go to one commentary, which is the Bible. 
I don't go to commentaries. I just go to the word of God and let God's word define it for us. And that's the key. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. Listen to what it says about how God works. It says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know, listen, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. God wants us to be able to look in the word and learn, see his truth. Verse 13, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. And how does the Holy Ghost teach us? How does he instruct us? Next part of that verse is comparing spiritual things with spiritual. We go to the Bible to define the Bible. Verse 14, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now, when it talks about a natural man, it can be talking about somebody who's lost and goes and reads the Bible. Oh, yeah. They go sit and they read it. You know what? It's just a bunch of fables. It's a bunch of stories. What doesn't make any sense? But can I tell you this? That if you're in your flesh and you're not in fellowship with God, you can go to this Bible, and you know what? It'll seem like foolishness to you because you won't know how to apply it because guess what? When we're distant from God, when we're outside of God's will, God's word cannot work because we're not listening to the Spirit. Again, our discernment does not come from our knowledge, our understanding, but it comes from a familiarity with the Spirit. And that relationship is built where the Spirit's able to give us discernment to understand God's word. And so as we do this and you go, look, in the beginning, I don't know what I'm reading. Great. Just keep going. Lord, speak to me, speak to me, speak to me, speak to me. I have ears to hear. My heart is burdened to know the truth. God, show me the truth. That was my wife's prayer, right, before we got saved. That was the thing that, that God used to draw us in because she was searching for truth. I'm clueless. I'm just out in la-la land. But praise God, I had a, a wife who was seeking the Lord. And through that, that's how God reached me, right? And so we come in, we go, listen, I'm not where I need to be. Listen, don't give up. Don't feel like you can't do this because I can promise you, you can learn the Word of God. I don't care. I saw a testimony of a man who was dyslexic who could not even read a book. And after getting saved, and he was literally going through such hardships in his life, and he said, God, I just want to, I just want to be able to read your Word. Yeah. And suddenly all these words that have been jumbled up, everything he'd ever tried to read in his whole life, suddenly he could see it. Amen. The Spirit of God superseded his mental shortcoming. And see, that's the thing. God wants us to see it. What does he say? And he says, those things that are freely given to us of God. Yes. He says, they're free, but you got to work for them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Put in a little bit of effort. Put a little bit of time. So being those that have received the Spirit, the Bible itself is the very best source for us to, start to discern what it is that God wants us to understand. And when it comes to these boards, these bars, these pillars, these sockets, God lays it out for us. He tells us what they are. We go to Exodus 26. We're going to throw up an image of the tabernacle for you guys real quick. You guys just leave that image up there and I'll read the verses to you guys. So verse 26, verse 15 through 17. And thou shalt make boards for the tabernacle of shittim wood. Okay, shittim wood is basically the equivalent of acacia wood. It's a super dense hard wood standing up. Ten cubits. A cubit is basically the length from here to here. It's estimated to be about 18 inches. So we're talking about a 15-foot pole or a board. Okay, uh, and it shall be the length of a board, and a cubit and a half shall be the breadth of one board. A cubit and a half, that actually ends up to be about 27 inches, over two feet. Okay? It says, two tenons shall be there in one board, set in order one against another. Thus shalt thou make for all the boards of the tabernacle. Now we can see in this image that there are a lot of boards. Okay? What we find out is by the Bible, it tells us that there are 48 of them. 48 individual boards. And what's interesting is we take the number 48, and we've noticed in the very scriptures that we're reading, there were the number of cities that the Levites were given. 
guess what? It's 48 cities. 48, Joshua 21, 41 says this. All the cities of the Levites within the possession of the children of Israel were 40 and 8 cities with their suburbs. Now, is it possible that God is saying, listen, I'm going to mimic the 48 boards and the 48 cities because, listen, almost like the cities, the Levitical cities were to help maintain the structure of the society of the Israelites and their spiritual holiness. They were to be foundational for the community. Then there were the three cities of refuge that were inside the promised land, and there were three cities that were outside of the promised land. And what we find is the fact is we go to the ones that have been given now to the Merarites, Interestingly enough, they're all outside of God's will. If we look at our map real quick, check this out. We can see them circled over here in purple. There's Ramoth and there's Bezer. And what's interesting is Bezer translates as high place or height. And then Ramoth translates as gold. So we have outside of God's will. And remember last week we looked at Golan, right? Golan means captivity. And then we have gold in high places, captivity. What's interesting is, guess what? The high places in the, in the Bible, when they, were called, they, go, they used to go back and they used to destroy the high places because guess what was going on there? Idol worship. They were taken captive by idolatry, and guess what those things traditionally were covered in? Gold. And so here we see this representation because what happens? Most people, when they get outside of God's will, guess what the number one issue of the heart is? God always warns, 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 warns. Be stay away from idolatry, idolatry, idolatry. And that's the issue. So many people, when outside of God's will, find themselves struggling with idol worship. The Levites' presence amongst the Israelites was to help the people remain faithful to God. They were to be a reminder of, of his holiness and, and God's uh, holding them accountable for who it is they were to be. Listen, continuing uh, this structure of the boards, we recognize the fact that it's interesting, the fact that here, check this out as we move to the bars, each one of these different elements is essential to the tabernacle. Okay, let's take a look at that image one more time. Exodus 26, 26 through 27. It says, And thou shalt make bars of shittim wood, Five for the boards of the one side of the tabernacle and five bars for the boards of the other side of the tabernacle. Five bars of the boards for the side of the tabernacle for those two sides westward. As I've told you before, what's interesting is when this thing was set up, this was always to move. This was the east, that's west, that's north, and this is south. And it was set exactly based upon that because in the Bible, you'll find that God, when he moves, always moves from east to west. The very same way that the sun moves, which is a picture of God travels through the sky, east to west. So that thing was set up with its door entering here. So when it says here, it's talking about the west, it's talking about there, north and south. So what we find here is the fact that this thing's set up, the bars are the things that connect it all together. The boards all sit like this, and they run these bars to interconnect them. What we'll find is these bars would range in size from 15 to 10 to 15 feet, and some of them up to 30 to 45 feet in length. We notice in Exodus 26, verse 29, gives us another interesting detail. So remember, we've got wooden boards, and we've got wooden bars. Now check this out. And thou shalt overlay the boards with gold, and make their rings of gold for places for bars, and thou shalt overlay the bars with gold. So each one of these structural components was to be made out of wood, and then it was supposed to be encased in gold. Then we move to the pillars and the sockets, Exodus 26, 32. It says that thou shalt hang it upon four pillars, of shittim wood overlaid with gold. So pillars are freestanding boards. Their hooks shall be of gold upon the four sockets of silver. And what we're going to find is each one of these boards actually has two sockets 
per board. So if there's 48 boards, that's 96 sockets. It's amazing. This is a massive undertaking to move this stuff. So these are the structural components that are important for this, for this tabernacle. And I want us to draw our attention to what's being pictured in these individual elements and what's being shown on the boards and the bars and the pillars. Okay, So we saw that they are wood encased in gold. So in this, inside of the tabernacle, recognize that the tabernacle is supposed to be a picture of heaven almost inside, right? And so what we find is inside of there, everything's encased in gold. All of the implements, all the furnitures are all encased in gold because gold is a picture of deity, okay? Then at the same time, they're also encased, they're wood inside. So we see wood, which is a corruptible material. If you leave wood out in the weather, guess what? Eventually it will decay. But guess what? If you leave gold out, it just looks like gold. So gold does not decay where the wood does decay. It is a picture of humanity in the wood, something that decays, and something that does not, a picture of deity in the gold, both the corruptible and the incorruptible in one, a representation of the Lord, right? Being both God and man simultaneously. Now listen to what Paul says as Paul addresses this concept with us because remember, I'm flesh, we're just human, but guess what comes inside of us? the Spirit of God. So there's deity as well as humanity. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 53 through 54. For this corruptible, our flesh, must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, that ends as, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Certainly that is true when we leave this earth, but can I tell you this? It's already become... It's already begun. Victory is already ours. If you're here and you're defeated, it does not make sense because if you're a child of God, you are already victorious, right? Our eternity has already taken place. I might be stuck in this body, but my spirit is just waiting to bust out and be like, man, I'm going up there. Leave that old carcass down below. So guess what? This body is tied to death, yes, and it is going to die and it's going to decay. You can do whatever you want to with it, I'm gone. But bottom line is, man, our spirit is eternal. So the moment we get saved, man, our eternity with Christ has already begun. And yet we live so many times defeated lives. And God say, no, 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 you don't understand. Death, what used to be your story, has been erased. It's swallowed up in victory through Christ and Christ alone. And so that's the key. Are we living victoriously? We should be, man. That's, this is our story. But what you realize, the fact that this fleeting time we have on earth is drying up just like this. For some of us, as we age, and I go get my hair cut, and I'm like, dang, there's less hair every time. It always makes me think of this line I heard one time when this, there's this movie, I'll tell you real quick. I don't know why I'm going to tell you this, but I'll tell you anyway. There's a movie called Osmosis Jones, and in that movie, there's this, this character that's, that's a human being, and they have all these, sail, these characters inside, these cartoon characters, and they're playing different parts of the body, the parts of the brain and the blood cells and stuff like that. And the, and the mayor of the, of the town, they ask him, they say, you know, sir, what are you going to do about all these hairs, or what are these, uh, these uh, all of these hair cells that are losing their jobs on the scalp? And he says, don't worry, there's plenty more jobs on the back. <laughs> anyway, I find that to be true, sadly. Um, but the reality is the fact that, guess what? You and I, our time is growing short, and we must be focused on what matters, right? We're supposed to be an image of Christ in the world today. The boards, the bars, the pillars, guess what? They're all a picture of Christ. And then what's really interesting is we get to the sockets. And what's cool about the sockets is the sockets are made out of silver and brass, and so what's interesting is inside of that place, inside the tabernacle, 
that represents God, everywhere deity, God, would come in contact with the world, the only way it can happen is by way of silver. Silver in the Bible represents redemption. And so the only way that God can come in contact with the world is by way of redemption. But once you get outside of that tabernacle and you get in the outer court where they dealt with sin, it doesn't, it's no longer silver, it switches to brass because brass is representative of judgment, right? So everywhere it comes in contact with the world there, it's judgment. And brother or sister, if you're here today and you're struggling with judgment, if you're lost and you're watching this and you say, you know what, I don't know where I stand with God and you're dealing with this judgment you feel on your heart, you don't need to live that reality. God wants us to live in our redemption, not in our judgment. Right. Recognize the fact that why is God always warning us, don't judge, don't judge, don't judge, because that's not our place. God is the judge, and he's judged this world to be uh, broken, this, the world to be lost and without hope. That's why Christ came to say, you know what, I will be hope to this planet. I will make a way. And listen, we don't need to face judgment. We can be set free. We can get processed. The, 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 the idea of going to the tabernacle was to get closer to God. And the only way to get into that place, man, redemption is the key. Yeah. And so we recognize the fact that bottom line is each one of these individual elements is reinforcing the, the principle, the, the picture of Christ and the importance of holiness. Yeah. The tabernacle, listen, the shape of it, the stability of it, the, little, the strength of it, it was all crucial. And each one of these individual parts were absolutely important. And listen, this is absolutely true for us. Because if we are going to be effective, the structure of our spiritual walk, yeah. right, the stability of our faith, the shape of our faith are determined by those things that are not seen. For you see what's interesting with what the Merarites would do, you didn't really see any of their work. There were a couple columns in the very front, but the majority of what they built and what they were responsible for, no one ever saw. See? And so it's important in our lives, many of the things that people never see, they're foundationally important to who it is we're to be in this world. Because you know what? You can give a facade for a period of time, but eventually that facade's going to break. Yeah. But if the foundation is sure and it's right and it's holy, then guess what? You'll be a true representation of Christ. You'll be a picture of what's inside of you. And what are those elements, right, for us? We think about this. It's boards and bars and pillars and sockets. <laughs> but what about for us as the tabernacle? What are the foundational structural things for us? There's things like prayer. Right? And I'm not talking about hollow, repetitive prayers to some distant God. I'm talking about heartfelt, emotional connection, desire for your God, for, for your Father to hear your voice as you petition Him with the desires of your heart, as you pray for your brothers and sisters, as you pray for your church, as you pray for your community, as you pray for your family. Connecting with God, that's what this is about. What about fasting, right? The idea of getting to a place where we're physically in such need that our body is craving something. And instead of going to food to supply that need, we go to our Father and we say, Lord, you know what? You designed this body. I could go 40 days without food, and yet I think I'm going to die any second. <laughs> it's been eight hours, for goodness sakes. What's wrong with me? We're addicted to food. Right? Right? But the realization is in those moments, if we go, you know what, Lord, I'm not going to fulfill my flesh. I'm going to keep my flesh, deny my flesh, and I'm going to trust in you. And in this moment, Lord, I'm going to get my dependence upon you. This is going to be a connection between us. Yeah. My body needs, you know what it needs? It needs you above all else. What about time in the Word of God? And I'm not talking about where you're, oh, okay, yeah. Like I said before, I read six chapters, but I don't know what I read. That's not what this is about. 
right? This is going to the Word of God with a desire to hear from your Father, to hear the voice of someone who loves you, that knows you, that will address your issues, and not only show you what you've done wrong, but then give you examples and solutions on how to get out of them. And many times just carrying, carrying the weight for us. We have a loving Father who wants to speak to our hearts, and yet we, we don't give the time to the, to the Word that we should. God intends to speak to us. We need to be nourished from the Word. What about things like godly living? So we have prayer, we have fasting, we have reading the Word, and we have godly living. How are we whenever no one's looking? What's our testimony in our quiet time when no one is there? Are we walking with God? Again, these are the things that are unseen, but they're crucial. They're crucial. The strength, the shape, the stability of the, of the whole thing. You wouldn't see it. And that's the thing with most people. Man, oh man. These foundational things. And we might think, well, you know what? These are no-brainers. Everybody's doing these things. And they're not. I'm just telling you, they're not. Right. Maybe in this church is a super high percentage. But can I tell you, most folks out there, they're not doing it. Mm. They're not surrendered to these things. They're going through the motions because they're caught up in the world. And so what we see is the stability, the strength, the structure that's there, the shape. Why are most people's spiritual lives so shaky? Because the foundational aspects of those things we just talked about are not in place. And if there's something there, buddy, it's like this. It's got dents and it's unstable. This is the problem. And so we find this with the Marards. Listen, if they did not do their jobs, if they didn't show up, but the Kohathites did their job and the Gershonites did their job, you know what you'd have? You'd have, the, they, put the, they put the furnishings in place, and the, Marar, the Gershonites would come and they put the drapery over it. You just have a bunch of fabric on the ground with some lumps under it, right? right? Mm-hmm. Because the Mararites didn't do their work. You would have a, literally an incomplete and irreverent representation of God. Right. And if we do not do these things, right. can I tell you we're the same thing? Yeah. An irreverent and an, un, uh, an incomplete representation of God. We're supposed to be an image of the Savior. And yet if we don't do these things that are unseen, then guess what? We just look like the rest of the world. No one even notices a difference. They don't see holiness. They just see a bunch of lumps, a pile of fabric that they can easily overlook. But buddy, what if you were the tabernacle standing there strong and pure and the fire of God coming down upon it, man, and people could see the hand of God working in your life? Remember what it said in 1 Corinthians 3.17? And it says that you're not defile the temple because why? And he says, because, he, because him shall God destroy. How many people today are under the conviction of God? They're going through the ringer because guess what? He's chastening them. He's bringing destruction in their lives because they're not walking with him. That's not what we want for our brothers and sisters, but because God loves them and he knows what he's called them to be. You know what he does? He gets them back on course. And sometimes that's a tough situation. As the Bible says, it's grievous. It's grievous, but I don't want you to face destruction. I want you to focus on holiness. Those unseen components of faith are way more important than the ones that are seen. Super, super important. So we see the structure of faith. Next, let's consider the weight of righteousness. And so it's in this point, we're going to examine really uh, the transportation of the structural elements that make up the tabernacle. And I'm going to put that image back up there for you guys to see. Notice these are 15-foot Boards, okay? These are gold-covered uh, shittim wood boards. Now, if we'd guesstimate the weight, 
It, there's a broad spectrum to guesstimate. But the closest guess I can get is between 500 and 1,000 pounds each. Okay, 15 feet long, two feet wide. So let's say, let's go with 500 pounds. That's 12 tons of boards. That's not including the sockets. That's not including the pillars, right? Recognize this in Exodus 20, verse 21. And for the second side of the tabernacle of the north side, there shall be 20 boards, and for their sockets of silver, two sockets under one board and two sockets under another board. So that's, if just in the sockets, that's 9,600 pounds because they weigh about 100 pounds each. So we're looking, this is literally tons of material that they're being entrusted with. Can you imagine? Let's imagine that we're the Merarites, right? And we're getting our list of instructions and all the parts and pieces of the tabernacle are sitting over there. And then we hear like the, the Kohathites get their stuff. And we're like, okay, okay, all right, that seems okay. That's a little dangerous, but all right, whatever. All right, Gershonites get theirs. Okay, okay. Okay, they get the fabrics. Oh, boy. All right. Whew. That's a lot of stuff. Okay. Yeah, and then you guys, uh, guess what? Merarites, you're going to carry that. Wouldn't we be looking at each other like, whew, okay, hope you've been working out. It's going to be tough. Recognize. Now, we know that we saw last week, right, that God's going to provide a way. But what's interesting is the fact that I want you to realize the fact that this is not the way God functions. God doesn't say, hey, listen, I'm going to give you an insurmountable task that is going to be too hard for you to accomplish. I'm going to give you something that would seem virtually impossible. He doesn't do that without providing a way for them to succeed. And so what we saw last week was the fact that as we read through, what did God do? He provided carts, wagons, and oxen that they would be able to transfer these things onto. They were entrusted to them. Numbers 7, verse 8. So numbers, notice Numbers 4 is when they receive their instructions. They don't get the carts until number 7. We see no complaining. of going, this isn't fair. we got to carry all this weight. No. Numbers 7, verse 8. And four wagons and eight oxen he gave unto the sons of Merari according unto, this, under, according unto their service, right, to take care of the need under the hand of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. You see, listen, the weight, right, the weight. God finds a way. And so what happens for you and I, let's imagine this go to us again, okay? Let's make the comparison. So what's God asking of us? God's asking us to live righteously. That's his desire of us, right? And so let me tell you this. When the weight of righteousness begins to become a burden, doing the right thing becomes difficult. When when, when God tells us what it is we should do and we struggle to do it because guess what? We don't want to. The very thing is what's happened is the cares of the world have gotten our hearts Because listen, if we're sold out to God, he will take the loads off of us. But you know what? When suddenly doing the right thing is a difficult thing and and we're, we're bitter about it. God, why do I have to? And why me? And why me? No. The cares of the world get our hearts. And what will happen, it'll draw us away. Jesus says this in Mark 4, 19. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things enter in. Notice what it says. Choke the word. So as the word's trying to speak to us, it's literally, (laughs) the word can't speak to us. We can't hear it. And it becometh, the Bible becometh unfruitful. So the very thing that we need, our spiritual nourishment, the thing that gives us the strength to survive, to go through all that we need to go through, suddenly it becomes unfruitful. Suddenly we can't hear it anymore because we're caught up in the cares of the world. Listen, whether it's fear Struggles in your family, addiction, politics, whatever it is, finances, whatever it is. These things, if we're not careful, they'll get our attention. They'll get our hearts. 
And what will happen is we'll shift our attention. We were focused on God, and now we're focused on these things. And now they've got our attention and our heart at the detriment of our relationship with God. The cares of the world. Boy, they are trying so hard to get a hold of our attention. Every which way we turn, there's something trying to vie for our attention. But see, God doesn't want that for us. Our temptation is to fall prey to the cares of the world and give them our hearts. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Amen. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, listen, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape. And notice the last part that he says, that ye may be able to bear it. The weight. I won't make it so much that I won't give you a way out. There is a way of escape. And guess what? That way is him. Amazing. God is not only that he will provide a way of escape through himself, but that he will carry our burdens for us. Right? What does it say in 1 Peter 5, 7? Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And yet we want to bear the burdens of the world. We want to carry the weight of these relationships or our loved one. We're carrying all this stuff thinking it's on us, but it's not. God's saying, hey, listen, I'll carry it for you. Realization, man, the burden God wants to remove off of our shoulders. God didn't intend for the Marites to bear the burden themselves, and he doesn't intend for us to do it either. But it's the willingness to let these things go, right? They could have put it on their shoulders and carried it by hand, or they could put them on the carts. It's up to us. And then our third point, I'm almost done, the interdependence of godliness. And here I want us to consider the structure of the tabernacle. Take a look at that image again. What we find is the fact that all of these parts are interdependent. They're interconnected. If they are not, the whole thing will collapse because it is a freestanding thing. And what we pay attention is what's important to understand is that each board, each bar, each pillar, each socket not only had to arrive in one piece, not only did it have to be brought to where it was that God told them to assemble it, but then they had to be joined together. Each one in its specific location, each part fulfilling its individual role, placed in the proper order. They had to do everything according to a plan, decently and in order. And that was the only way that the tabernacle could be complete. If they left that one part, it wasn't God's dwelling place. It had to be exactly as he said. You know, the tabernacle is not just a picture of the individual believer. It is also a picture of us as a body. It's a picture of the church, right? Made up of individual believers who come together, the body of Christ. Listen to this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. It says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building... Fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an an habitation of God through the Spirit. See, not only were the Merarites to listen, to to care for the structure, God's dwelling place, they were to transport it where where God told them it would go. Because God was the one to determine where it was they would stop and set up that tabernacle every single time it was done. So they were to go where God told them ensuring that every part was assembled correctly. Each socket put in exactly where it was supposed to be. Each board seated in that socket. Each board connected together with the bars that bound them together. Everything working together, functioning as one. And there's a little thing that I thought of. It's interesting that they're the only one that received 12 cities. 
And what's interesting is the fact that the, 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 the Israelites are made up of 12 tribes. And what we're seeing here is what made Israel Israel is the fact that all 12 tribes were one. They became one body. And guess what? We are supposed to function the same way. It's exactly the same thing. The tabernacle was to be assembled. Every part would do its part. And that's how the local church is supposed to function. We're all supposed to come together, assembling where it is that God tells us to assemble. I didn't pick this building. We didn't choose this location. God said, you know what? Not an audible voice, but boy, an overwhelming, I knew God was saying, this is it. This is, where you're, this is what you're supposed to do. Just do what I say. So showing up where it is that God tells us to show up. Assembling ourselves together upon his instructions. Each member fulfilling their role because the board had a specific job, right? The bars had a specific job. The pillars had a specific job. Every part brought together to make a whole. And that's the way the church functions. We come together to make a whole. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 1.10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together, right? In the same mind and in the same judgment. We have been given the honor of shining the light and the love of God to this world. That is locally and globally. But in order to do so effectively, we need to focus our attention on the structure of our faith. We need to individually and collectively do those things that go unseen. This is crucial. If we are to be effective, we must. We must be effective in our prayer life. We must fast. We must be in the word of God, nourishing ourselves spiritually. We need to live a life that is righteous, that makes a difference relinquishing the weight of, the, of, 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 of godliness onto God and trusting him to get us through the trials and the tribulations of the world, uniting together, realizing that we're effective in godliness and effective in making a difference in our community, effective in the lives of others if we function as a unit. Yes. God's given us the role to reach this world. It is an honor to do so. It should not be a burden it should be a gift, and we should recognize it as such. See, the fundamentals of our faith are what we absolutely must have in place. Absolutely must have in place. We cannot cut corners. We can't leave things out. We've got to be committed to the fundamentals. Because bottom line is God wants us to make a difference in, in the world. And the only way we can influence this place, this planet, the lives of others, is by focusing on the foundations of holiness. I know it sounds something, you all, we, we should already know this, and yeah, we should. Knowledge and application are two totally different things. There are a lot of people know what to do. The problem is they don't do it. And if we're going to be effective as a church, then we must be actively pursuing and working on these things, these issues of the foundation. God wants, us, wants to use this body, this, this church, to reach people that are broken, no doubt. He wants to change the world. And how do we change the world? One life at a time. Are you actively investing in the life of someone else? Is your life reflecting the light of Christ into those that are observing? Listen, it's easy to be defeated. It's easy to feel like, you know what, I'm not that person. But listen, it's never going to be you in the end. See, what the, all these 
processes of the structure is of removing us and trusting in God because he can take any vessel and use it for honor. No matter how broken you may be, no matter how dirty you may be, God can restore you and he can do great and mighty things. So the question we have to ask ourselves is how is our foundation? My challenge for you this week is that we would assess our foundation. Let's look at our prayer life. Let's look at our fasting. Some people go, I don't know how to fast. Can I tell you, not watching Facebook for an hour is not fasting. <laughs> I'm, I'm fasting from, uh, from, from sweet tea. <laughs> fasting is give yourself nothing but water and black coffee and go a couple days and don't eat anything. And when you get hungry, get on your knees and talk to God. You'll be amazed what will happen in your prayer life. And as God says, he says, and these things shall only come by prayer and fasting. God instructs us time and time again. Jesus did it for 40 days, for goodness sakes. And physically, physiologically, you can go 40 days without food. So I promise you, you can go a day. Man, incorporate fasting into your daily life. Miss, are we fasting? Are we in God's word? Are we truly developing in that foundational understanding of who Christ is? And bottom line, that life of godliness. Are we truly sanctified from the world? Or are we putting on a facade? Again, it's not what's seen. It's what's unseen that matters. Our foundation is the key to our success. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Father, for the word. Thank you for the lessons you've shown us, and God, for the wake-up call for some of us, Lord, to to hear the truth, uh, Lord, and to recognize and realize maybe where we're falling short. And I do pray for my brothers and sisters today that may be struggling, going through some adversity, some trial today, God, whatever it may be. Father, I do pray that you'd help them to surrender it to you, to cast their care upon you, Lord, to focus on holiness, to, to uh, Lord, desire uh, to be a display of, of Christ to this broken world. Thank you for being with us through it all. Thank you, Lord, for having a purpose and a plan, even for those tough days. And I do pray that, God, you'd uh, get a hold of our hearts and help us, Lord, to walk with you. Their heads still bowed and eyes still closed. Listen, if you're here today, let's say, you know, maybe you're saved, maybe you know Christ, but you are in the midst of a struggle. You are battling in some area of your life. The foundations are shaky. If you want me to pray for you, I do want to pray for you. And I'm not going to call you out or point you out or say anything to you, but I do want to pray for you. If you're going through something right now, you're carrying the weight of of holiness and you're struggling. And you say, Pastor, pray for me right now. I'm going through something. Amen. I see that. Anybody else, just raise your hand and say, listen, pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Amen. 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 And if you're here today and you say, look, I don't know where I stand with God. Uh, I'm not saved, uh, but I want to be. 22 years ago, somebody asked me if I knew for sure if I was on my way to heaven, if I were to die. And I said, I I hope so. Bad answer. God tells us that we can know. So with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, there's no magic ceremony. There's no prayer that's going to be, uh, there's no ceremony to it. It's just a matter of a broken heart calling out to a loving God. If you trust and believe that Jesus Christ is who he says that he is, that he died on the cross, that he's a power to save you, and that he resurrected on the third day, He's willing and able to save you right where you are. It's not a matter of how you pray. It's in a matter of in whom you pray. Put your faith in the Savior. He stands ready to receive you and to save you. If you have that desire in your heart and you're willing to trust him for your salvation, he's ready to receive you right now. He's done all the work. It's just a matter of you receiving that gift. So if you want to receive it, I'm going to take you through a prayer. Now, again, it's not the words or any ceremony. It is the heart that God's listening to. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. Pray this in your heart and mind. 
if you want to receive Christ. Lord, I, I know that I've, I've fallen short in my life. I understand that I'm a sinner, and I'm so sorry for my sin. I feel the weight of it today, and I'm asking you right now, in the best way I know how, for you to come into my heart, for you to pay the debt for my sin that I, I know I can't afford to pay. Lord, would you save my soul? Would you give me a home in heaven? I know that you have the power to save me. I know that you died on the cross. I know that you resurrected on the third day and you sit by the right hand of the Father. Lord, receive me as your son, as your daughter, and help me, Lord, to live for you in the days to come. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks.